Hey guys, welcome back again to the Replacement Lover Podcast. We're back with Chris, myself, still trying to figure this whole free agency out. It's been wild. It's been wild, Chris. It has been a wild past few weeks. Um, let's jump right into it, Chris. I mean, straight off the bat, uh, I know we haven't been potting. We're relatively on a one-week basis, so... Yep. One day per week basis, uh, to be correct. But um, I think that we do have a lot to discuss today. This is definitely going to be a fun podcast. Chris, I don't know about you. Yeah, for sure. There is a lot to get into today. I mean, which heavy hitter free agent signing do we want to start first with? I don't know. I, I think considering the fact that we haven't been here, we haven't uh, been on the pod for a week, I think we should go back in a little to a week ago or so. So let's start off yeah. with one of the more intriguing trades of this free agency period. One thing that, that definitely stands out to me, and I think this has been the biggest surprise to me, is the offer that the temporary Rays gave Zach Eflin, who served as the ninth inning man for the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies, didn't get that rot- uh, rotation role in the playoffs, although he yeah. has proven to serve a multitude of roles as a starting pitcher. Chris, I want to hear your opinion on this because from where I stand, we, we know that that was the largest contract ever given out by the Rays, but is there something there that we see that the, that we don't see that the Rays do? Uh, first off, the Rays are spending money, like big money in free agency. That's just <laughs> shocking in itself. Um. Not you know, with the Rays, you always got to ask yourself that question. Like when any time they sign a free agent or they uh, make a trade and they get somebody and maybe it's even somebody like you haven't heard of or you didn't think was very good, but they traded for him. You always have to ask yourself that question. Like, wait, what are the Rays doing? Like, what do they know that I'm not, you know, picking up on everything? Um, because they, they are very good at finding players that fit what they're looking for or they can at least like extract something out of them um and just have that play like hey listen you're great with the fastball and the changeup combination that's all i want you to throw and we're gonna have you just go in and pitch and you're gonna pitch as many innings maybe we'll start you out as an opener maybe you'll be a late inning guy or middle relief, a bulk guy, like, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll figure it out. But basically what we kind of are going to tell you your best at, that's what we want you to do. And then those guys go out and execute it. And a lot of them have some pretty good success with it. So yeah, it's very, very interesting that they would go after him. Um, Right now he's projected to be their, their fifth starter. So you're looking at the Rays, Starting rotation of Shane McClanahan, Tyler Glasnow, Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, and then Zach Eflin. Um, so, yeah, that's not a terrible rotation for sure. Uh, you know, and we'll see. Eflin's had some good stints of being a usable major league starter. So, we'll see if the Rays can, you know, get that from him and maybe have him be a little bit more maybe of their like inning eater guy because they don't necessarily have um, a lot of those guys in the rotation. They kind of have guys that can go in about maybe max five innings right now. 
Right. Uh, and I definitely agree that there is something there. But I, I think what kind of surprises me is that if you look at the season that Eflin had, there was nothing too special there. He had a right above a 4 ERA, 4.04. He went 3-5. and five, 20, 20 games, a .9 war. I don't think there's anything in specific that stands out. But I think what the Rays were turned on by is how he performed postseason. He had a 3.38 mm-hmm. ERA this postseason. That's definitely something to take into consideration. Again, teams like players who can adapt, especially in those primetime games, especially in the post those postseason times. And for Eflin, I think that was big for him because that kind of increased his stock and proving that he is a contributor and proving that he's an asset in the playoffs, that's definitely a factor. And I think for the Rays and what they do to pitchers and how they mold pitchers and what's what they do with their staff, Kyle Snyder does a great job of molding those guys down in Tampa. I think that they definitely can maybe revamp or just enhance Eflin's game because there's definitely something there. And I do think that there is definitely room for improvement, but from what I've seen and from his performance in the playoffs, I, I definitely think that it it might be definitely beneficial on for a Tampa side because how they improve and how they develop pitchers. But I think at the same time, there is that perspective that it may have been an overpay. Yeah, yeah, definitely a possibility. We'll see what what happens with them this season. Uh, but yeah, if nothing else, the, the Rays got another bullpen guy. If, if he can't, you know, make it in the starting rotation, he's shown he can, he can be a weapon in the pen. Yeah, that is definitely, that's definitely something there. Okay. Next up Friday, your Mariners, Chris's Mariners go out and trade for the one only Colton Wong in exchange for Jesse Winker at Abraham Toro. Chris, obviously you're going to take the mic here because you're the Mariners fan. I just see it from my Yankees perspective that I kind of wanted Colton Wong because I'm not really such a big fan with, of Torres anymore, but you kind of stole Wong from us. So <laughs> what do you think? Well, I will tell you this. If you guys are still shopping Torres, I would be fine with uh... – kicking Wong over to you guys for, for Torres. I I like Torres a little bit better than I do Wong. Uh, Wong is fine. He's he's a good player. He's a solid player. He's nothing special, nothing flashy, anything like that. He is a career 261 hitter. He's a very good defensive second baseman. I think the combination of Croft, J.P. Crawford and Colton Wong up the middle defensively should be really good for the Mariners. It should help their defense be that much better, which we know the Mariners right now are kind of building a team based on pitching and defense. They're still trying to get some hitters and everything, uh, but right now you know they've got a really good infield with Ty France, Colton Wong, J.P. Crawford, and then A. Eugenio Suarez, who uh, give credit to – their defensive uh, infield coach, Perry Hill, 
for getting Suarez back into the defensive groove that he was able to find this past season because he did show a lot of improvement compared to where he was in his last couple seasons in Cincinnati. So uh, I, that infield is looking pretty solid defensively. Uh, Wong, I, he's in he's the middle of the not even middle like like late middle like a sixth like the sixth batter type of hitter to. Um, you know, being a lineup, he's he's not necessarily a top of the order guy. He doesn't have a lot of power or anything. I mean, he had that one season, um, you know, last last year really, where he you know hit 15 home runs. That's the most he's hit in his career. Um, so he's he'll not get a you guy. 10 home runs. Yeah, yeah, and he'll chip in. He, I mean, he'll chip in 10 plus steals as well. So he's got a little bit of speed to him. But um, yeah, he's. I know a lot of Mariners fans that really liked it. For me, I just see like, oh, so we we didn't get Adam Frazier to work out, so we'll try another variation of Adam Frazier um, with the hopes that this one works out. Um, you know, and those fans who liked Wong kind of gave me a, um, what's the correct way to say this, an earful of how I was wrong and, you know, uh, dumb on baseball and everything. I said, you know, you guys are all right now until the season starts and then, you know, the season proves me right. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, for now, it, it's a nice deal. Um, no problem with it. The biggest thing that I like out, out of it is getting Jesse Winker out of the locker room. Uh, yes. He was, yes. he was not a very good teammate. Uh, he did not. He His preparation or lack of preparation for, for games was something that drove teammates uh, to not like him. And he It's was, funny, though. Yeah. I don't like he played so well with with Cincinnati. I understand he had he had an all star year. He had three oh five, three ninety four OPB, and he hit mm-hmm. twenty four home runs. And then just he comes to Seattle and hits two nineteen, and has fourteen home runs. I, I don't get the change. It's Great American Ballpark, man. Uh, if you look at his his splits from from playing in Cincinnati versus outside and it, they are drastic. Uh, he, he is definitely much more comfortable and much better suited to hit in, um, in Cincinnati than he is, uh, you know, elsewhere. Uh, your, your, your Yankee stadium actually might be a good fit for him with their short portion and everything like that. So, uh, if you guys are interested in, in a, outfielder if you don't get judge uh you know he could be a nice consolation prize <laughs> um <laughs> i think we've had enough of those big power hitters who are just hit for power and strike it all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but he i mean you know he he definitely has a career 267 average at home versus 265 on the road and you know that just you know that's home and away for his career that doesn't really kind of factor into where he you know Cincinnati but it does kind of highlight that he it's much better at home than he is away and he's only played one season outside of Cincinnati so again you you can kind of tell that he hits much better in Cincinnati than he does elsewhere so it is shocking maybe a return to the NL Central and a hitter friendly Milwaukee Park can get him back on track but for the best part is that his bad locker room is gone and that's Milwaukee's problem now yeah um, just to add a little to what you said, um, I do think that Colton Wong is for sure an upgrade from Adam Frazier, um, especially going on the season that Frazier had. That he was kind of on the, the downside of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the type of season he planned to have. But 
One thing to note, Colton Wong does not strike out at all. 17.7K yeah. rate, which that's definitely up there. Um, if you take a look at fan graphs, I think it's top 20, something like that. Luis Arise is first. I think like somewhere around a 7% K rate. But again, like you said, he'll hit. He topped out at 15 home runs. He's not the biggest power hitter, but he did hit 250 this year. And mm-hmm. his field, his glove is definitely comparable, comparable to Frazier. I think Frazier, Kawong might be slightly better. But offensively, for sure an upgrade. Um, being that Frazier was had a down year. On to one of the biggest surprises to the baseball world, for sure to those Mets fans. And I apologize to Mets fans and eh, not really apologize. Don't really (laughs) (laughs) give, don't really care. But Jacob DeGrom, the Jake, heads to the Texas Rangers. Alex Alcazaz, last episode, my friend over at Primetime Sports Docs. Um, Chris, just wanted to, actually, in case we have Alex next episode, Alex is a huge Texas Rangers fan. And... I forgot, actually, I want to reach out to him about Jacob DeGrom, but mm-hmm. in case we get him next time, that'll definitely be fun. Have a Yankees, Mariners, Rangers um, debate down here. But um, yeah. Alex is a huge Rangers fan, so congratulations, Alex. Big shout-out. $185 million, five years. Opt-out for in 2028. This is the breakdown. 2023, he'll make 30. 2024, he'll make 40. 2025, he'll make 40. 2026, 38, 2027, 37, and conditional club option for 2028 is 20, 000, 20 million, and it can increase to 30 million or 37 million based on his innings pitched and Cy Young finishes. There, there are definitely some conditions to that. Mm-hmm. Chris, um, what are we thinking about this deal? He also got a full no trade clause in there as well, too, which is when you think about how old he's going to be during the length of that contract, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, He he is, I mean, he's not a young guy at all. So getting a full no trade clause in there, it's pretty big. He is, uh, wow, he's 34. So he'll be just below, it'll be right around 40 by the time it ends. And he can dictate, where he wants to go if he wants to go anywhere when it could be closer to the time for him to start looking at hanging up his his cleats and everything so kind of a that's kind of interesting i can definitely see that coming into being a big problem for the rangers but thankfully it is the rangers problem to deal with they they um man they seem to be following the the build a baseball team methodology of the LA angels, which is just, Hey, let's go buy big name players, write big checks for them. And that should automatically translate to wins. As we've seen with the angels, that doesn't really work out that way. And as we saw with the Rangers last year, it didn't work out for them either. Yes, they had improvement, but you know, they still are a team that has a lot of holes and has a lot of needs. And DeGrom, Certainly fits, but um, yeah, there's still a lot for them. And just, yeah, good for him. Good for the Rangers. And I look forward to seeing them in the bottom of the AL West. 
I think from where we stand at this point, from where DeGrom is at in terms of his ceiling and in terms of where his where we'll see him in this year and will he'll, how he'll pan out and what he'll do this year, I think it's it's rolling the dice in terms of where he'll be at. That Chris, you did mention that he'll he's turning thirty five mm-hmm. soon, so I I do think that that's something to take into consideration. That I, as of now and where we stand now, I do think that the Grom will be the Grom, and he's only throwing harder as he ages. But five years down the line. At the age of 39, will Jacob DeGrom be? Will he be a Justin Verlander-esque? Or I think it's just a matter of where will Jacob DeGrom be in five years? Yeah, Because he's a two-time Cy Young winner. He's a four-time All-Star Rookie of the Year. And everyone likes to speculate over the fact that he didn't have the best year this year. He had a 3.08 right, But again, he only, he only started 11 times. He, he has quite the history of injuries and he's quite injury prone so was it worth it to shell out 185 over five years for potentially the best player the best pitcher in baseball when he's healthy but as we've seen over the past few years he hasn't had a a 30 start year since 2019 Mm -hmm. 2020 uh obviously 2020 was the COVID year but past two seasons he hasn't even pitched close to half of a full season. So will we see healthy Jacob DeGrom or will we not? Yeah. I mean, the last three years, he's averaging 13 starts uh, over the season. Again, like you mentioned, that COVID year in 2020 does kind of skew it a little bit, uh, considering the last two years he's been very injury plagued. So, yeah, how many starts, how much productivity can they get out of him? And, you know, the last two years – is that a sign of his body breaking down on him or just, Hey, just a couple bad years. And he's, you know, he's still got a lot left in the tank. It's going to be fun though, because like I said before, we see Justin Verlander, he's turning 40 and the Mets will discuss a little later, but the Mets just went out and signed him for a two year deal. And he's coming off a Tommy John procedure and he just went out and won the Cy Young. So five years down the line, can Jacob DeGrom maintain his prowess and can he just maintain what he's doing and keep it up? Yeah. Okay. On to, there's a lot to discuss. I <laughs> Today has been crazy, Chris. There's so much going on. Heyman and Passon are crazy. They're firing away. Um, good for them. Okay. Coming up next, we're going to head to the one and only, Fred McGriff, before we continue on the free agency topic, I want to just go a little off topic and discuss, Chris, the Hall of Fame induction contemporary baseball era player ballot that was recently established. McGriff got 16 votes. He got 100%. Mattingly got 8 votes, 50%. Schilling got 7 votes, 43%. Dale Murphy got 6 votes. Bell, Bonds, Clemens, and Palmerio. Each received fewer than four, according to the one and only John Heyman. Okay, Chris, let's let's take a bite into this. Fred McGriff was that 
worthy is he worthy enough to can uh to admit to the Hall of Fame over Mattingly, over Schilling, over Murphy. Chris, what do you think? I always thought he should be in in the Hall of Fame way before this. I thought his numbers were good enough to get in there. There are players in there that are better. There are players in there that you know are arguably worse. So you know he's a five time All Star. All Star. He won the ninety five World Series. He's an All Star MVP. He's a three time Silver Slugger. He's hit four hundred and ninety three home runs. Hit got 2,490 hits, drove in over 1,500, stole 72 bases, a career 284 average, a 52.6 war. He was good. He was a really good player. He played for a long time. He played for just about 20 years. I mean, he came in as a 22-year-old for Toronto, found some success in there. Oh, by the way, he led the, the MLB in home runs twice. Uh, both in in 1989 and then in 1992. So it, it's not like his power numbers were just fluky or anything like that. Like he was a solid production of home runs from actually from 88 until 93. He had a nice stretch where he hit over um, over 30. Or I'm sorry, till 94 where he hit 30 plus home runs every year. You know. So he, he had some power in there for sure. And he was able to maintain that for the most of his you know career and everything, even as he got older, it, the numbers went the power numbers went down, but he still was a you know a threat to drive one over the fence. And yeah, I think he's it's well deserved for him to be in. I just pulled up his baseball reference. Um just to um continue on what you just said. Looking at his I just pulled up his OPS numbers. Except for 1986, 2003, 2004, Fred McGriff's OPS did not regress below the 800 mark. And like you said, his perseverance and the amount of years that he played in the MLB and the fact that he was able to maintain and persevere throughout his 19-year career, I think that that's definitely significant. And the fact that he played so well and he accomplished so much as a player. Again, like you mentioned, five time All Star. World Series. He won a World Series, three times Silver Slugger, and five a All Star MVP. So I definitely think this was the big the best option here. Um I thought Maddenkley had a nice career. Schilling also had a nice career. But at the end of the day, McGriff pulls away with the majority votes. Next, let's discuss the last big signing. Sorry, the last two big signings before we talk about all the talking, before we talk about Judge, before we talk about Alcantara, before we talk about Judge and all those other guys who are receiving some interest. Let's talk about the one and only Justin Verlander. Chris, wow. Checking my phone in the middle of the day today. Again, I was a little bit annoyed that the Mets ended up with him. Not really the biggest <laughs> Mets 
lover. <laughs> but let's take a look at these conditions and what it included. Justin Verlander, two years to the New York Mets, $43.3 million per year. Full no-trade clause, 30-year option at $35 million. So two years with 43.3 per year comes around to around 86. That is a huge investment for the for the Mets. Now, just days after losing their H shake of DeGrom, they now combine and now they have the two around the two oldest starting pitchers in the game of baseball, Justin Verlander <laughs> and Max Scherzer. Yeah. <laughs> It's. I mean, if those guys can be healthy over the length of an MLB season, which they've they've shown the last couple of years, they've been able to do that. That's a really top one-two punch for for the Mets, and they still got they still got Carlos Carrasco, right? Uh, they do. In fact, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I saw earlier today. Yeah, that there's some teams that have drawn interest, but I'm. Okay. Pretty sure that he is a yeah he's on the Mets. Okay, yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's a nice like one, two, three that they have uh, for for the rotation. And then you look at the offense they've got with Alonzo, Francisco Lindor, Starling Marte. Uh, you know, Jeff McNeil's you know a good player. So is Eduardo Escobar. You got Edwin Diaz as a closer as well. If they if the Mets can bring back. Nemo, like that would make them even that much better. Um, I know there's reports that the, the Mets, even after getting Verlander, the Mets are still reportedly looking to get another starter and then looking to get another hitter. That you know, Nemo is still on the table. On the table, um, so it's yeah, it's interesting to see what that they will do. But that I think that's a good, good consolation prize for Mets fans since they lost out on Degrom. Might as well go get Justin Verlander, who's coming off a World Series victory and um yeah good good for them go go metropolitans <laughs> trey turner <laughs> wow what a haul for that man 300 million dollars 11 years full no trade clause wow and there's no opt-outs for turner that deal but that works great for him you know why because now he's on the east coast his wife is from new jersey and now it all works out for Trey Turner. He'll be in the West Coast now. Play in Citizens Bank 11 years now. That means that it will cover from his 30s to 40s. And Trey Turner is arguably the best well-rounded player in the game of baseball. And there was no doubt that Turner would get this money. But I think from... For Carlos Correa, this kind of sets the standard because now Correa is looking for similar money from what Turner gets. Obviously, Turner is slightly better than Correa. I think Turner as an overall player generally is better than Correa. Um, just, just to pull up his stats really quick, this season, Turner 298, 343, 466, 809 OPS. All, he was all-star. Won the Silver Slugger at short. Hit 21 home runs, 100 RBIs. Led the 
National League in plate appearances and at-bats. He missed just two games, played 160 games. Trey Turner for you guys, $300 million, 11 years. Wow. Yeah, wow. Wow is right. He's He should be a good fit in, in Philadelphia for him. He can definitely be a top-of-the-order type of guy for the Phillies and – his his game should as he you know this contract's going to take him into like his late thirties early forties. His the way he plays it should be okay. Like it's we're not talking about a big time like power guy that you're somebody that's big like Aaron Judge. We're talking we're concerned that his body could break down as he gets older, um, you know, or anything like that. Or we're looking at um, that little short guy that plays second base for Houston. You know how his body could break down on him because he's just not big enough to hand, you know to hold up and everything like that. Like Turner's got a nice build. He's six foot two, and he plays a really good game. He's got some pop. He's got some speed. He's a career. What I what I what is it? Three hundred three hundred two. Yeah, 302 average. So, you know, if the home run, the power start to diminish, like he can still be a good contact type of guy to get on base and still be productive, even if he's not hitting as many home runs or anything like that. Obviously, the fact that he's, you know, put up another 2020 season shows he's got good instincts on the pads, on the base pads. So he should, even as he gets older, the speed will go, but his instincts and ability to read pitchers and make get good jumps, that should help him as well. And I mean, Look at Philadelphia's lineup now. You've got JT Realmuto, Reese Hoskins, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, and then, you know, Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott, and then Brandon Marsh. Like, that's, that's a, scary. Yeah, that's a pretty devastating lineup. And if you can get any sort of, you know, production, like increased production from, uh, Stott and Bohm and Marsh, like that could be an even scarier lineup. The real concern for Philadelphia, though, is, is going to be with pitching. Uh, you know, you got Wheeler and Aaron Nola, two top of the line guys, which are really good. Bullpen's not too bad, but it definitely is going to need some help. And then Ranger Suarez was fine. The rest of the guys in there, like Philly's definitely going to be an offense minded team that's we're going to hear. The rest of this offseason and all throughout the year about how Philly needs pitching. They, they just aren't going to have enough pitching or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do um, in that regard. But offensively, that's a scary NL East team. I mean, think about it in a short series, like a three-game series of Verlander and Scherzer and Carlos Carrasco versus Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nolo, Ranger Swords, and then you've got Pete, Pete Alonso. Lindor, Hoskins, Ramoto, Schwarber, um, Castellanos, and Turner versus, you know, like that should be some fun games to watch if you love baseball. Like, just should be a really fun series to watch. Um, and we're, oh, we're kind of glancing over the Atlanta Braves, too, who should be back and healthier. So, like, the NL East is going to be stacked this season. Yes. That is definitely going to be that scary division. I think yeah. there's definitely, they will contest with, the AL East, because those two divisions are loaded, as you said. And before we move to the next topic, I just pulled this up from Passin. This is a crazy stat. The trade Turner signing by the Phillies takes total spending 
by MLB teams this winter to $1.5 billion. And that's without Judge, Correa, Bogarts, or Don Swanson. The five of whom together will command well over a billion. What a what a market this year. I think that's all we have to say. Yeah, yeah. I saw that too earlier, and that was just like, wow, that's a lot of money. And we all expect yeah, Judge to get something like a Turner-type deal. Uh, you know, Correa and Bogarts probably come in. Rodon probably come in the next tier just below that. And then you got to figure Swanson's the, the tier underneath that. So, yeah, a lot of money being spent. It's good to be able to swing a stick and hit a baseball. One of the smaller deals that I was that I saw and just got confirmed, Kyle Gibson. Yeah. To the Baltimore Orioles Gibson. I'm liking that move. I like Kyle Gibson. Mm-hmm. I like Kyle Gibson, to be honest. He's he's not again, he's not your he's not gonna be your second and third starter. He'll be your fourth or fifth, but didn't have the greatest year. Kind of had a down year. Five ERA. Career has a 4.52 ERA. But listen, in 2021, he pitched very nicely in Texas. 2.87 in 19 starts. And then he, when he went to Philly, he just exploded and, and kind of fell off the map. Had a 5.09 ERA. And Philly has just not been the spot for him. He hasn't done too well in Philly. He did well, very nicely in Minnesota for a couple of years, had a down year, didn't pitch too well 2016-2017. I do think that Gibson could be a nice supplement. I, I don't think he's anything too big, but I definitely think that it was a good move on for Brandon Hyde and over there in Baltimore because now their pitching rotation is looking like John Means when he's back. Tyler Wells, Bradish, Kramer, Voth, Bauman, and now the one and only Kyle Gibson. So now we're looking at a Orioles rotation who has a lot of potential. Potential as we've seen as we've seen this past year. So I do think that the Orioles will compete. Obviously, we know they have the biggest. And one of the best bullpens in the game of baseball, but Dean Kramer from in that rotation had a breakout year and he, not many addressed him this year and not many wasn't talked about too much, but he had a 3.23 ERA, 22 starts, won eight and seven. And obviously if you're not going to get that support from the offense, although the Orioles did have a surprising offensive year, but um, again, like I said, Gibson could be a nice supplement and could be a nice, long reliever maybe maybe throw him in or maybe he'll get that fourth or five spot yeah yeah and i mean i gotta like kyle gibson he's he's a greenfield indiana native uh which is he's that's basically like 30 ish minutes um on the east side of indianapolis so um you know gotta give love to some the hometown guy you know always gonna be a big fan of those type of players but um you know you also forgot that they've got grayson rodriguez who's being touted as one of the top pitching prospects to come up this season. And then they also have a potential rookie of the year candidate in Gunnar Henderson, who, you know, is looking at being their shortstop or third baseman. 
he's you know Baltimore last year what Baltimore did was a surprise that that success they had was not what anybody's expecting it's what they were expecting maybe this upcoming season but you know is Baltimore a year early um you know it, it's going to be very interesting now with Kyle Gibson added to the rotation with those young guys I mean he's kind of the proven veteran in that rotation so um yeah, what can he teach the youngsters and how can he help mold them and get them ready to to play every day? Baltimore is a is a dark horse. I mean, that they're no longer the doormats of the AL East. That's for sure. That is definitely for sure. Um before we wrap up this episode, um let's just talk let's just talk some baseball. Let's, let's just talk some theories. Let's have fun with this. Let's take a nice twist here. Let's because those have been the trades and the signings we discussed. Those have been the biggest talks, and those have been really the biggest signings. We had a few smaller ones, Chris Martin. Uh, other than that, nothing really to nothing to really to crazy. Carlos Estevez signed with the Angels earlier today. So that was seven years. Sorry, seven million for two years. Seven million a year for two years comes out to fourteen total. But let's talk. Let's let's take a twist here. Um, by the way, Chris, I don't know if you saw this, but Puig came to the he's at the Winter Beanies right now, and, and he's looking for a job. And he, I think, two teams met with him. He did play well in Korea, but I don't think he's really the greatest sell. But he did meet with two teams, and are we going to see? the most loud and most vocal guy in baseball back? Uh, I don't think so. And, I mean, he was a fun kind of guy to watch uh, on the field and everything. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he's got some legal issues as well. Um, so uh, do, do teams really want to bring him back in knowing that, okay, he hasn't played in the MLB for a few years? And, oh, by the way, he's got some litigations or some legal issues going on as well that could potentially distract him or keep him out of playing. So I don't know. I, I, do, I do see that Puig has changed his plea to not guilty because of, quote, significant new evidence. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> I know Puig has said that he wants to clear his name. I, I don't see him coming back in the league right now. Um, maybe once all his legal issues is cleared up, then possibly. But I I would be shocked if he's on a MLB field in 2022. Yeah, I do think. I mean, personally, I wasn't the biggest fan of Puig. Didn't like how he his approach to the game and just how he acted. But um, I guess it would be cool to have him back. Okay, let's get into Aaron Judge. Because this is has been on my mind for quite some time, and I'm I'm getting nervous that we're not gonna have our MVP back in the Bronx because right now Yankees have offered him several contracts, and according to Cashman, he's obviously the priority, but it seems as though the Yankees might not have the final offer. It seems as though the Yankees might not have the opportunity to file and to offer a judge the final contract. They might not have the final say. 
Because if the Giants get him first, if the Giants give him the money that he wants, and if he thinks that he'll do fit, he'll be a better fit in San Francisco. He's going to go to San Francisco, and that means Plan B will have to step up, and that will have to be the Yankees' next route. Because if Judge is gone, what's next? Yeah, what is next? Uh, well, we can tell we can probably go out on a very strong tree branch and say that Joey Gallo won't be uh, invited back to. No, to- no, <laughs> um, no. Yeah, I, I it's interesting. I, I mean, I'd heard that there was talk about teams basically going to to Judge and some of the other big free agents and saying, "Listen." more or less like you got to let us know if you're in or not because we're not going to let you hold up the market we're going to go after other guys like if you are going to you know pass on our offer or not even give us any indication that you're interested in us then we're you know we're going to move on and we're going to find somebody else we're not going to play this game um like it was back i want to say like with when bryce harper was a free agent i think steven strasburg um where those guys pretty much held up the, the market and all this winter meetings time was all just boring because it was all like nothing was going on because everybody wanted those guys and those guys knew it. So like, we're just going to wait until you get us the best offer and then we'll accept. But until then we're not going to. So uh, I'm glad to see clubs aren't going to be kind of scared. I'm glad to see clubs are saying, fine, you don't want to come play for us. We'll go get guys who do want to come play for us and we'll pay them the money. And you know, the money goes away at some point. And so it could very easily be a situation where those guys are kind of like, oh, this, you know, I'm now taking an offer that wasn't quite as big as I was initially getting, but I've got to take this one because the money's starting to dry up and this is the last big deal I can get. So, you know, is there a possibility that Judge maybe takes a shorter term deal and goes back like Correa did? I don't think so. Judge is a little bit older and the season he's coming off of, how are you going to top it, you know, to, to really increase the dollar amount that you want? So I think it is between the Giants and the Yankees. I would say the only other club I can think of that might be able to swoop in last minute to potentially land Judge would be the Dodgers. And I mean, that would be an interesting fit for, for their team. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the Yankees would do if they miss out on Judge. I think they would probably pivot hard and get Nimmo to, to be in the outfield and then maybe look to bolster their, their starting rotation. So I did see oh, today from Feinside, Mark Feinside over at MLB.com for the Yankees. So he said that the well, the Yankees and Giants are certainly the two most prominent teams in Aaron Judge's sweepstakes. Sources say other teams remain on the periphery. No prominent Mr. teams emerged, but it would not be surprising to see that happen during winter meetings. So at where are we stand right now, it is solely the Yankees and Giants that have emerged as contenders for and suitors for Judge. And as of now, it's only Giants and Yankees. But and according to the and and as. Cashman and what we've seen from Cashman and what his and what he wants to accomplish his office in offseason, Judge is certainly the priority here. But as Cashman said, that if Judge shines somewhere else, 
they're going to pivot and they do have they, they 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 all they do have several free agents on hold right now they've checked in multiple guys they've checked in obviously with Nimmo they've checked in with all the big free agents Bogarts Turner obviously Correa and I do think that there is plan B but at the same time they need to side judge because after that <laughs> it's going to be quite unpredictable. I don't know what's going to happen after that. <laughs> because let's 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 put out a theory here. Let's be realistic here. Yankees. I'm not personally. I'm not one of those Yankees fans who thinks that we're going to get every single player on the market. I'm not one of those guys who say no. We're going to get Correa. We'll get Nimble. We'll get Rodon. We'll get Vasquez. We'll get pretty much everyone. Any player you can think of. I'm not one of those guys. I, I let's be realistic here. Let's say. By the time Judge makes a decision and he decides to go to San Francisco, let's say we still let's just be realistic here. I personally, I I view this shortstop market, and I, from where we stand right now, I do feel that Correa will be next, and then it will just be Swanson and Bogarts. I do think by the time Judge signs, one of those three in that pool of shortstops will be available. So I do think that there is some compensation and they're they they definitely could go and out and sign one of those stuff. I definitely think that's an option. And like you said, bolster that rotation. If Rodon's available, go for Rodon. Kershaw obviously today um finalized that deal twenty million five year bonus. But again, bolster that rotation. Fix up if if you get go out and get Nimmo, re sign Benintendi. Fix up that infield. Maybe get rid of Torres and target second baseman. Maybe get rid of Donaldson. Get rid of Donaldson. Sorry, <laughs> but um, yeah, I do think it's gonna be fun. Chris, what I want to see what you think. If Judge leaves, what's Plan B? Do they call up one of their you know top prospects, uh, Jason Dominguez? I think he's too young. He's twenty. Give him some time. Let him let him develop in the minor leagues. We've seen what he he did have. A nice finish in Double A before mm-hmm. in towards the end of the season, but I do want to see a little more from him again. Like I mentioned, he's 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 still nineteen, and I think it's a bit early to call him up. Yes. Uh, sorry, uh, correct myself. Um, he only played five games in Double A this year, but he had one home run and down in High A. Through 157 at bats, he hit 306, 390, 397, 510 slugging. So the ceiling's there. Mm-hmm. He can go. Dominguez can go grab it. He can grab what he has right now. He can take off. I think he'll definitely be lauded as one of the most, uh, highly touted prospects in one to two years. But I do think that give him some time. Okay. Does it I mean if if Judge is gone, does that? Paved the way for I'm probably gonna mispronounce his name, but Anthony Volpe to, Volpe. to make the so yeah Volpe. Um, hmm. I mean I know he's like listed as a shortstop, but I'm sure with his athleticism they could have him in the outfield. And my thinking is if you have him in the outfield now, you can take Stanton and the whatever's left of Aaron Hicks and kind of platoon them in the outfield to hopefully keep both health healthy. And then you've got Volpe and Bader in the other two spots. And, 
you know, maybe you've made yourself a little bit deeper of a team. That's really interesting because I actually never heard someone say that because Volpe is known for having a crazy arm over at short. He his, his arm is insane. And I do think that he'll stay at short, but I've actually never heard that. That, that's, that, that intrigues me a little bit. But just pull up Volpe's stats. Volpe is Anthony Volpe, and he's the number one prospect and the third prospect. And he is a top three prospect in baseball. And we didn't see the year. We didn't see the best year from Volpe this year. 2021, he had 302 with 12 home runs, 21 stolen bases. This year, though, one thing that did stand out was his 50 stolen bases between triple and double A when he got called up. He had... He had six steals in triple A and 50 steals. Sorry, six steals in triple A and 44 in double A between those two leagues. His stat line sums up to 249, 342, 460. Again, not the kind of year expected on from Volpe. Those kind of on the downside of the spectrum, but he's Anthony Volpe. And from what we've seen and, the potential is definitely there, and I, I'm excited for how he turns out. But I do think that he might, he may need half a year. I do think he will be called up at some point next year, but I think he needs to spend a little more time in AAA. Okay, so this has been a crazy podcast, Chris, and I think we've covered a lot. I think by next week, as I pretty much say every week, because it's free agency, and I've been right when I when I say, and I think I've been quite accurate when I say by next week we'll have some clarity because we've seen Verlander, we've seen DeGrom, and we've seen all of this tension in the air and all of these theories and where he will go, where he'll go next, and we'll judge some of the Giants. So I think we've covered a lot. I think we've definitely done a lot of this podcast and I'm excited to see what next week says for us. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to what is going to happen um, between now and whenever we want to do another podcast for sure. Uh, You know, obviously there's still some big name free agents left. What kind of trades could come up as well. So uh, yeah. Exciting times. Glad to see the winter meetings are off and running and looking forward to hearing the latest happenings in Major League Baseball. This is definitely going to be a fun time. Before we close up shop, just uh, guys, check out Chris on Twitter at cphillips13. Make sure to follow him. Give him a follow. Again, is writer for sports, not huge Mariners fan, so go give him a follow on Twitter. Give him some tension and let's go judge and let's go Yankees. Chris, (laughs) see you next week. Yeah, take care.